Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. And that's Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Please be aware that in this episode, we will be discussing Nazis and the Holocaust. Hi everyone, welcome to the Label Podcast. We're doing something a bit special this week. Uh, We have decided, because it is Autism Awareness Week, that we are going to do a week's worth of content dedicated specially to autism and raising awareness about autism and topics related to autism. So basically what we're trying what we're trying to tell everybody is you've got a week's worth of pro- so every day this week is that right every day this week an yes yep, of the podcast yep. is coming out you lucky lucky listeners yeah and we've decided to give you something really good to kick up with uh the, yeah, the only reason any of you keep listening, uh, our our very own personal tame historian, <laughs> Daisy's back. Daisy's back. Hello, Daisy. Hello. I'm really intrigued where this characterization of being being tame came from. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I wasn't consulted on this. <laughs> <laughs> I am very aware we sound like Steve Wright as well with the clapping and the woo. Like, Radio 2 afternoon. <laughs> That's all right. No, no one claps to be enough. I'm, yeah, you know, well. I'm here in the house on my own. I need a round of applause sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Daisy, what are you going to tell us about that's to do with autism? Well, it may be easy to puzzle it out. It's some kind of <laughs> listener quiz. I am a historian and it is Autism Awareness Week. What do you think I'm going to be talking about? Oh, oh, I know this. I know this. Is it, is it the uh, history of autism? Yes, it is. Well done. Yay! You go right I was going to say kittens. <laughs> I could probably talk about kittens for this length of time as well. But, yeah. but the history of autism is what is on the paper. So okay. I had to go all the way up a set of stairs to print this out. So... <laughs> Well, we appreciate the effort and hopefully our <laughs> yeah. listeners will as well. Yeah, so so the difficulty we have with talking about the history of disability in general, kind of di- history of any kind of disability or, you know, neurodiversity or a health problem or mental illness or anything like that is the problem of trying to rectif- retroactively diagnose people. Mm. As you can imagine, that's quite difficult for people who kind of lived not just before you know the current diagnostic criteria that we use but before the word autism existed at all Mm. there's a similar phenomenon in um lgbtqia plus history of you know sort of retroactively sort of claiming people as you know gay icons or trans icons and things like that and you know it's it's difficult because you just can't know for sure i've said on the show before i think about how i think it's it's important not to label people 
ourselves, but to sort of look for people who have labelled themselves. I think I, I don't necessarily think it's our place to be applying labels to people who haven't identified with them. And that's obviously difficult in, you know, history terms, mm. but certainly in terms of celebrities and stuff like that in the modern day, I mm. I think that that's something that people should be a bit more wary of rather mm. than saying, well, that's a gay icon. If that's somebody who hasn't felt comfortable coming out and saying, I am, you know, this is what my sexuality is. Yeah, exactly. So I'm kind of working on a on an estimate of, say, mm. maybe, you know, 40, 50% of the people who I will mention in terms of history of autism probably might have actually been autistic. And But it's kind of, I consider it all part of the history of it, mm. even if they wouldn't necessarily cross it, because it's, it's the history of neurodiversity, mm. yeah. essentially. And, you know, part of that is the people who you know might have filled those criteria but might not have you know yeah. unfortunately if you if you only consider the you know the people who definitely had it then uh, this will be very very short <laughs> yes well and again with something like autism it is a spectrum so there will mm-hmm. be people who you know don't identify as being autistic who have some of the criteria you know and it's it's a spectrum so you, it's even more difficult whereas you know my eye condition it's that's what she's got whereas yeah. it's it's difficult with something like autism and neurodiversities to be able to actually accurately diagnose and label people yeah so daisy what were people sort of autism wasn't a thing there wasn't there wasn't the diagnosis of autism available what did people who had those types of symptoms what were they known as you know, what was their label back then? Their labels were sort of terms which we tend to use a lot of still nowadays, mm. but have you know, roots in describing people with, you know, learning disabilities, neurodiversity, intellectual impairments, all those sorts of things. So one that comes up quite frequently, in particular with um, autism, is idiot. Mm. Right. So that would be someone with a kind of profound um learning disability but that seems to refer more to the um non-verbal side yeah. of things so you will also see you know the terms like moron and dumb and mm. so so also because of some of these people are non-verbal there is an assumption that they're deaf as yeah. well because yeah. obviously that could be the only possible reason why they don't want to talk to you <laughs> it's just that they can't hear you no other no, no other reason yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, idiot will come up a few times. Right. Okay. And I think it is safe to say that anytime I'm talking about disability history, there is a content warning for potentially offensive terms for disability may well be used because mm-hmm. I, I I don't like to sort of try and censor that stuff too much. No. no, I think it's important to use the language that people were using at the time because it, it says a lot about the, the context of the person you're talking about, That's the language it. that people were using about them. History is not nicey-nicey, is it? It's not. Mm, yeah. I had to write that just this morning. <laughs> <laughs> history is not nicey-nicey. I actually said history is not nicey-nicey. True. A doctoral proposal <laughs> by Daisy <Holder. laughs> I'm wondering if you've been in my head, Lucy. <laughs> yeah, so kind of one of the earliest versions of, of what could be considered autism that you hear about is, is one that a lot of the neurodiverse community have, have been learning more about in recent years. And a lot of them have kind of taken on, you know, that sort of identity marker themselves. So that's the idea of changelings. Okay. So... These were from stories, myths, fairy tales from all over the place. 
like Britain, Germany, Scandinavia, mainly. Mm. So the idea was that um, that someone's baby or young child would be perfectly average, typical, boring. And then suddenly, overnight in some cases, the baby would change. The idea was is that the actual original baby had been stolen and then replaced with a, well, a changeling that wasn't quite a real baby swapped for like a fairy baby isn't it yeah 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 yeah, yes it was was fairies going around swapping things because you know fairies while tiny are surprisingly strong apparently (laughs) that two-parent's got a lot to answer for hasn't she really yeah 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 yeah, exactly but yeah people considered this when you know with a change of behavior but also sometimes the baby was just clearly unhappy (laughs) they were just like oh no 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 can't be anything i'm doing wrong no it must be those those fairies it's definitely Mm. the fairies Mm. so yeah that's that's one that people have really kind of you know taken on as their own kind of reclaimed almost which i i think is great yeah in a way well i I was gonna say if you if you gave me the option human or fairy i know what i'm gonna fucking pick you get you get yeah yeah you get wings don't you and magic Mm. yeah i'm not sure if the changelings themselves have magic i should rifle through my bits of paper (laughs) (laughs) Let's do myself a nice doodle here. Call me, just call me Tinkerbell from now on, please. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's a really good sign that neurodiversity has always existed. You know, there is all there have always been these people with behaviours that people haven't really been able to fully understand. Mm. And but for for the slight, what I'm deeming the slightly more documented history, right. which is kind of you know someone actually wrote it down on a bit of paper that then I was able to read. That's taken to the 16th century. Wow. So so that's, you know, 1500 through to 1599, because the way that centuries and years match up isn't particularly intuitive. So you've got Martin Luther. So you may be familiar with him, but not remember why he was famous. And that is perfectly fine because I was in that camp before I started doing this research as well. <laughs> okay. He is that one who essentially created the Protestant church okay. by um, sort of, you know, getting very angry and forcing a split from the Pope. Right. No. He was also a writer, theologian, philosopher, all of that. In his various writings, he would go around the country, around the continent, around the world, meeting all different people and he wrote about it all. And so there's one of his books, which is from um, a load of notes that he took. One in particular called The Table Talk, where um, he described a young boy, about 12 years old, fits the criteria of the modern... The modern um, diagnosis. Diagnostic, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so fit the criteria for that. He described that child as a soulless mass mass of flesh possessed by the devil wow whoa i mean don't mince your words mate yeah 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 whoa. so you know this was not uncommon obviously the idea that any kind of disability or mental deficiency would be down to you know the devil sin mm-hmm. it was all your fault but also god's fault or the devil's fault or it's hard yeah they keep changing their minds quite yeah. a lot it's either god mm-hmm. or the devil it's god or satan yeah is to blame it's one of them yeah Yeah. it's kind of you know i feel people do have this impression that that was kind of always the interpretation of historical views of um of autism in particular but also disability in general Mm. um that's not really the case so there's many people who believe the complete opposite okay so this is going to be hard to explain (laughs) okay 
Strapping okay. in. <laughs> there were these people called the Holy Fools of Russia. Right. Okay. So they are a part of the Russian Orthodox Church. They did exist in other things as well. Uh, that sort of the idea of being foolish for God. Um, but the Holy Fools of Russia, some researchers now think that they, or at least some of the members of that group, could have been autistic as well. They've right. existed since like the fourth century. Wow. Right, right through. And they're, they're well known for running around naked in the middle of winter, being disruptive and immoral in town centres, and claiming to be a prophet. Okay. Which naturally, uh, these were all signs to the Orthodox church that um they were extremely pious and religious because yeah nothing yeah, says commitment to religion more than claiming to be a prophet i mean it it doesn't necessarily smack of neurodivergence to me it sounds no. more like someone who's been drinking too much yeah yeah, they, yeah, they've, yeah. So they've had a few too many sherbets i think well, yes yeah, so <laughs> these, these were people who kind of followed the um what they term like aesthetic type version of religion so you know they're nomadic they only you know absolutely as much as they need to you know sort of singular grains of rice that kind of thing yeah traveling around sleeping outside not having to talk to other people so i suspect it was those kind of later points rather than the necessary yes. you know <laughs> idiosyncrasies within it shoplift there's some particularly good names of these people which i would like to take this opportunity to share with you <laughs> absolutely john the hairy <laughs> Uh, Basil the Blessed, right? I like that. <laughs> and John, John Big Cap, <laughs> Big Cap, John Big Cap. <laughs> now, is that because he he had he had the particularly large head accessory, or is it in reference? Do you think to to some other part of his anatomy? Allegedly, it was a headgear. Okay. okay, but he, he covered himself in chains so that it would be um, you know more difficult for him to walk around. <laughs> I thought you were going to say covered himself in cheese. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, you might, might have done that too. Hang on, I'll check the notes. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, chains. Okay. So yeah, uh, sorry, I'm would miss. Uh, Lucy's cheese comment overwrote. Why did he cover himself in chains? So the implication is that, you know, they they go to a lot of effort to make their lives more difficult to show their dedication yeah. to, yeah. to God. That... Being a martyr. It's like yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of, yeah. And so so the idea was that they were they were deliberately acting the view right. of the, the church at the time is that they were deliberately acting as if they were bad so that people wouldn't know how truly one with god they were and feel jealous right okay okay and and so chains yeah i mean i think covering oneself in chains is probably less pleasant than covering oneself in cheese so i can see <laughs> yeah, but still probably more so than covering one's naked self in snow apparently they did too i wouldn't really necessarily recommend it russia as well like like when we get snow here the russians are like bikini weather yeah yeah, there was a monk called Brother Juniper, right? Who who was one of these, you know, considered a holy fool, but mm -hmm. um, not of the um, you know, Eastern Orthodox kind of the other kind. So he was a um, monk under Francis of Assisi. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm really trying to cling on to the names that people will recognise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but look, Brother Juniper took the order of you know the different rules of the order of Francis of Assisi. So seriously and like so 
literally to the extent that he spent most of his life really irritating a lot of people. Okay. So he, he just sort of never really understood why. So that so that he didn't know he was being irritating, or or no, no, he had no idea. Right. Okay. I suppose not having autism myself, I don't necessarily have the lived experience of it, but you certainly see in representations that um, people with autism do kind of irritate and bother other people because there is the sort of representation of them being pedantic or you know very kind of to the letter and uh, immoving about things. So. I can understand sort of, yeah, seeing that relation, especially for something that is, you know, amongst holy orders are going to be something that's really going to be drilled into them. Mm. So there's probably not... There's not much wiggle room, is there? Exactly. Yeah. And if that's how your autism kind of presents, I can see, yeah, again, why... Like, like It's like if somebody tells you to be quiet and you 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 struggle to be quiet... You could see why that would get irritating to everybody else who is being quiet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So so the legend goes that um, they had come across a sick man mm-hmm. and they had been tending to the sick man. And Juniper asked whether there was, you know, anything he could do that would make this sick man feel better. And the man said that, oh, you know, I'd really fancy a meal of pig's feet. And so Juniper went, oh, okay and ran off into the forest, found a pig, and just cut off its foot. Oh, my God. Oh! And then, and then ran back, cooked the meal and all that. And then the farmer, who owned the pigs, yeah. found <laughs> one of his pigs there, which is one of its feet. I imagine bleeding to death, slowly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was just sort of quite annoyed about the whole thing. I can imagine, yeah. And so just sort of turn, turned up and started yelling at them. Right. And... Um, Juniper thought that he just sort of didn't didn't understand what had happened. Mm-hmm. He was sort of going, "Oh, but but he was sick and he wanted this, and now I got it for him. Isn't that great?" Mm-hmm. And yeah. once the farmers, you know, realised that he was a sort of you know simple religious man and so friendly and all of that, and he hadn't, you know, he was doing it for a good reason. They yeah. they forgave them and and gave them the rest of the pig as a as a gift. But so so you know, a lot of these behaviours in the it's kind of you know historical religious sense was kind of like a a sign of being one and true with God and their religion. You know he was like he was seen as one of, you know the most pious one of them all because mm. you know because his I guess as they saw it as long as he was being kind that was the only thing he wasn't weighed down by you know the idea of needing to please people in the mortal world. Mm. Obviously, I'm not mm. saying that that analysis is necessarily, you know, correct as far as our understanding of neurodiversity <laughs> today, but... No, but it's, it's interesting. It's basically saying, you know, if you're unencumbered by the other trials and tribulations of humanity and, it, and, and all that you think about is being kind and caring for a person, it does take away sort of old bullshit doesn't it you know mm. it strips all of that back and i can i can certainly see why a person would align that to kind of godliness it's you know in theory god is is there to just say you're good you're bad this, there's there's not really messing around with gray area whereas you know intent and things like that is what makes areas grey. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, he got sainted. Mm. So really? good good job, Juniper. Saint Juniper. Yes. Juniper had all his 
miracles. See, was did he happen to become the patron saint of gin? Because I think gin makes me very kind and thoughtful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny, you know, you're embodying the spirit of St. Juniper every time you drink it. Yeah. You just just remember him. Yeah. Yeah, I will. I will next time I have a drink. Yeah. Yeah, you absolutely should. So, yeah, so by then we're getting into the sort of, you know, 17th, 18th century when people are writing things down a little bit more. Okay. Which is great for me <laughs> uh, so otherwise it's a lot of me staring at my computer shrugging <laughs> which doesn't come out very well on a podcast does it? No, no and it doesn't get much done either <laughs> just sort of scowling at it why won't you tell me more things <laughs> yeah so the the reason we know so much about this next guy is because there are court records Okay. That's always a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be interesting. Yes, so he was known as the Daft Lad of Borg. Right. So da- Daft is another um, mm-hmm. word that sometimes people use as just sort of, you know, I mean, it's still now what it meant then, which is sort of, you know, a bit eccentric. Right. But yeah. but inevitably, you know, it would be, you know. Uh, reading between a term- the lines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because, you know, they didn't have a better way of describing it. Mm. No. You know, it's sort of, oh, oh, what's going on with that with that Borg lad? I don't know. He's a bit daft. You know, yeah. It's... I mean, all of these words are creeping unpleasantly close to phrases like retard, which is mm. not a word that is acceptable in any sense, if you ask me. But it is this, it's the same kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're almost synonyms of one another, aren't they? Or, or moving close to that idiot daft. It's that, yeah, as you said at the beginning, there's still the same sort of words that we might use to insensitively describe learning difficulties and neurodivergence and, you know, cognitive impairments. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think it was some point last year, I actually um, wrote a an article on this on my website which is basically like a a, you know i was gonna say thesaurus thesaurus isn't the word i'm looking for like a like a dictionary i guess almost of of disability history yeah yeah sort of like so it's got you know all of the words that so if you're researching disability history then it's the words that you might come across and what they mean but also the the background of a lot of these words that are still really common and how they came from disability history like a like a glossary Glossary, yes, that's the word I was going for. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's really interesting where a lot of these words come from. Yeah, so so the daft lad's actually called Hugh, Hugh Blair, mm-hmm. and he he was a a lord from Scotland, right? Um, which, which is another reason why we know some amount of some amount of information mm. about him. Can't deny how much being rich helps. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so he had many of what are considered unusual behaviors so some of them like uh fixations repetitive acts obliviousness to social cues are very typical of autism is this the guy who thought his dad was a turkey i'm gonna I say no know. by that face i'm gonna say no no it's not what no it, it might it might it might well be you know my sources are never like completely 
gonna say everything <laughs> the whole the whole point with disability history is that like you end up having to pick it from so many different places because yeah. no one has really made it before and sort of put it together very much so you know there isn't just sort of like a book i can go and find about this guy which will have all of it in so yeah so a, a lot a lot of his behaviors were sort of you know typical of what you would you know consider autism now um others not so much you know they come up with uh you know when you're reading these sources it's kind of like you know oh this is a this is a list of reasons why i think this particular thing and it was you know the reasons why people consider him unusual mm-hmm. and one of them was uh, always eating alone and letting the cat eat off his plate which i don't think is all that unusual no well and i i have a cat and it's not really a question of letting the cat eat off your plate it's well, usually more of a desperate fight for whatever you can get is that you know as far as i'm concerned the other rich people were boring and the cat was really <laughs> cute yeah well and and you know lots of people prefer to eat alone well, yeah 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 so a, a slightly less typical but um still quite funny i think one so he, he wore the same piece of clothing every single day until, you know holes in it starting to fall apart so in order to fix it he would um cut bits off of other people's clothes without them noticing and <laughs> fix it <laughs> and i like that they don't specify but i like to think that they were wearing it at the time where he cut it off is that a bit like people who say i've had that broom for like 27 years I've only replaced the head twice and the handle three times. So actually, yes, it's not... Yeah. Yeah. It is quite a bit like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so 1747 okay. uh, was the court case. Right. That was the court case between him and his younger brother. So because Hugh was the eldest son of the family, he was due to you know inherit everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the title, the manor, all of the, you know, family home everything his younger brother became his legal guardian sort of about you know 10 years before this court case because it was it was considered that you know he he obviously had the title of lord because um you know that's not really you know you're a lord or you're not there's no kind of yeah you know, like you don't need guardianship to be called a lord no but in a sort of and it's not something that i've uh, come across that many times before is the idea of you know so someone becoming a, a legal guardian for an adult at this mm. this sort of early? Yeah, they seem to determine that that was that was necessary. So this court case in seventeen forty seven was because Hugh got married. Okay, and I suppose if somebody thinks you're you require legal guardianship, it's I guess making that decision. Yeah, essentially, yeah. So about it was about a year between um, him actually getting married and the court case. Um, which, considering back then the courts didn't necessarily have the same delays that um, they currently do in the, you know, CPS and court trials and things like that, mm-hmm. is sort of relatively quick but not immediate. You know, it okay. it almost gives it almost gives you the impression that um, they, they're sort of giving it a chance, yeah, at least or, or just you know an opportunity. I mean, I suppose it could also mean that the brother wasn't paying attention and didn't notice until you know ages later but i I like to think it's the former yeah (laughs) so his brother petitioned the court to have the marriage annulled okay right and did hugh have any say in it as well i think he didn't did he if they're going to court no not not really because he was he was a guardian uh but 
it's it was hard to tell whether he understood right. that he oh, was married. Right, okay. So they did a test to sort of try and judge his competency. Mm-hmm. But it was essentially pointless because it was a written questionnaire. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I doubt it was particularly accessible or anyone had really explained it to him yeah. or anything like that. So he ended up just sort of copying out what was written on, yeah. you know, the, copying out the question in the answer section. Right. Because, yeah. you know, there's writing and then blank spaces. I mean, you know, to be fair, yeah. I would, you know, if you had no idea what was happening, you may well just go, oh, maybe they're testing my handwriting or, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's perfectly reasonable. Yeah, yeah. So um, they asked him whether he wanted to marry and he said yes. And then they asked him if he wanted to not marry and he said yes. And they asked if he wanted to marry a woman, said yes. If he wanted to marry a man, he said yes. And he, he just always agreed. Right. Mm. And so kind of based on that, they annulled it mm-hmm. and obviously you know it's impossible for us to know whether that was the right decision because the people writing it down for me to read think that it was right mm-hmm. exactly so if, you know if there was something else that implied that maybe they weren't entirely right in doing it they probably wouldn't have written it down no i can't imagine they were making that decision for hugh's benefit or in his best interest they were making that decision because hugh was the eldest son and so he was the one who was going to inherit if he got married and had children then they would be the ones to inherit and you know i I, that's that will have been what was driving their decision is worries about money not necessarily worries about whether this was a consensual relationship that made him happy Mm, yeah so uh, arguably because he was the legal guardian that would have sort of uh so so his his father had already died by this point Mm-hmm. His father had died when both of the kids were quite young. Mm-hmm. So he already had the title. And I'm imagining the legal guardian being like, um, almost like, like, like how a power of attorney would work mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, like, you know, the money would technically be Hughes, but it would be his brother who had the final yes or no as to how it was used. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess arguably he already had access to all of the money anyway and didn't need to know but yeah i i admit that i am trying to see the niceties well and it's it's the it's not necessarily the use of the money now it's the inheriting the money further down the line you know if he gets married and has children then it's going to go to them whereas if he stays a bachelor and you know something were to happen to him then it goes legal guardian or not it's his money now yeah yeah but i i'm i always like to see the worst in people (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that was i mean that was a surprisingly kind of like well documented you know case of that sort of thing do we know what happened to him in the end well from what we can tell he had a you know perfectly happy adult life and died at an age appropriate to I i think he was in his late 50s or early 60s it's not bad for the 1700s. No, no, that's that's not so bad. As you say, the reports are limited, but mm. everything indicates that he was happy, happy enough in himself. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well done, Hugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's that same century you get. So you notice how a lot of the history of autism is kind of like individual stories of people. Mm-hmm. It's Really, because you know this essentially only started being researched as a phenomenon. I think it's about eighteen fifty or eighteen forty. It's like the earliest really? example wow. of it actually being researched, um, which still, to be fair, is is earlier than I thought it was when I started doing this research. To be fair, I honestly 
I thought you were going to say, you know, autism didn't, people didn't start recognizing it until like 1940 something. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that is better than I expected. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's, you know, the date that autism was invented. <laughs> so, 6th of October, 1944 or whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. The classic. <laughs> but yeah, so th- this is another one that some people might have heard of. And it's one where um, the idea of uh, this sort of child being autistic is a bit sort of, you know, patchy for me. It's so hard to tell. But it's the wild boy right. of, of Aveyron. Some people might may well have heard about him he was found living feral in the woods mm-hmm. south of france entirely non-verbal and been living alone there for about seven years how did he get there what some researchers think now is that he well it seems that he was abandoned by his his parents oh, yeah and some people think that he was born with autism and then abandoned by his parents because of, of the autism because of the autism yes but uh, uh, all of the um, sort of behaviours and signs that, you know, they report as and kind of looking at it almost like, oh, maybe they could have been autistic traits. Mm. I'm going, or oh, could have been living on his own in the woods for seven years. Yeah. Well, and, and the abandonment of children and things like that, it, unfortunately, is not necessarily that unusual. Though, yeah, No, it wasn't. Someone surviving, yeah, exactly. surviving it is unusual. Mm. Yeah. So... It is that um, almost chicken and egg of it, isn't it? Is Was he just abandoned because the family couldn't afford to feed him and knew that if they got rid of him, they could continue to feed themselves and then have another child? Or was it the fact that, you know, he was so tear away, you know, run away while... They, yeah, they struggled to manage his behaviour. Yeah, yeah. So when, when he when he was found, he was taken to uh, to a nice lady in the next village where he stayed mm. for about a day and then went oh no this is terrible and mm-hmm. ran away back to the woods again and then i think it was another about 18 months before anyone saw him again yeah he was considered to be deaf and mentally ill right right deaf, deaf because he was non-verbal and mentally ill because at, at this point particularly um in europe mentally ill was kind of used as like a catch-all term right okay. for, for kind of an illness or disability that they thought came from inside the head mm-hmm. so yeah so it's not necessarily that mental illness men- doesn't mean the same thing now yeah, did that yeah. yeah 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 it kind of you know covered sort of mental illness and you know neurological yeah illness and thing all things like that that they just sort of like it's it's from inside the the big coconut on your neck somehow <laughs> i mean they used to think that um you know other illnesses were caused by like biles and humors so mm. it's i feel like them being able to identify that it, it's something that is perhaps caused by something that's going on in your head is a pretty impressive step forward from it's the yellow biles in your liver yeah yeah better drink some phlegm or whatever it was <laughs> you were supposed to do let's get some leeches on <sighs> you yeah he, he was found again and then um taken in by more people and you know studied a bit as did it happened away? did he run away again I think he tried a few times yeah. and then if i remember rightly he actually died quite young i'm not surprised really i mean they they liked to do that sort of thing even with you know natives in places that that the white european christians turned up and went oh this is ours now and they you know looked at the natives who have been living in the jungles or the forests minding their own business having their own culture and being perfectly happy for 
hundreds and thousands of years and they go oh no 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 you can't do that you must yeah. go to you know go and go to a mission like a missionary and learn to be a proper human yeah, put some shoes on yeah. and be a proper human <laughs> yeah yeah basically i can't i can't see them being the most nurturing for somebody who has perhaps got communication needs and has not been brought up in what their understanding of civilization is well yeah because i mean you know compared to all of those people alone in the woods sounds quite nice Mm. certainly like compared to 17th century hyper-religious france Mm. i would much happy like you know my dad lives in france now and he's always telling me sending me pictures and telling me all these nice stories about all the random wildlife he's got like deers and shit just hanging it sounds so much better than french catholics like a like a disney film yeah yeah so get some get some little uh birds to help you put on your jacket yeah exactly he was basically being snow white yeah and everybody was like no you mustn't do that you must use a knife and fork put some shoes on yeah Yeah. (laughs) what is your obsession with people putting shoes on i just think it's very civilized to wear shoes (laughs) (laughs) that's the true definition of when civilization started (laughs) i have to remake that whole series yeah (laughs) Sorry, Daisy, we've been very naughty in your history lesson, aren't we here? <laughs> oh, not at all. <laughs> right, yeah, so the first research. Mm-hmm. So this was done by a, a doctor called Samuel Howe. Or Howe. It, it's H-O-W-E. And I've... How? I think it's Howe. Yeah. yeah. So he was the founder of the Perkins School for the Blind in America, which is where um, Helen Keller and oh, Laura right. Bridgman were educated Mm -hmm. the fictional helen keller you mean (laughs) don't even get me started (laughs) thank you tiktok Uh, (laughs) yeah so so they both studied there um laura bridgman before helen keller Uh Mm -hmm. uh i've also written about laura bridgman if anyone's interested yeah subtle plug (laughs) uh so he learned from kind of setting up that place that from and from educating you know deaf blind students that essentially all disabled children were able to learn in some way and it was just a case of of figuring out how he believed that all children deserved you know at least the the opportunity of education revolutionary ideas even now you know so this was uh, 1840s <laughs> okay and he he led a survey of what is called the commonwealth's known idiots wow what a title I know, yeah. So, th- so I feel like they should all have that on the back of their jackets and be like, start like some kind of football team. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. The yeah. lone idiots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's basically, you know, everyone in America who was on this sort of list mm. and, you know, they ride around on their horses and then, you know, get their tape measures out and start measuring people and taking notes and, and finding out, you know, how many people there were out there who were, okay. as they classified, idiots. Was this? Does this include all the like cranial measurements and stuff like that, mm. or is yeah? Because I know yeah, that was yeah. a big thing around that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's it's all the cranial measurements. Um, as far as you can tell, how hadn't yet connected that to any kind of eugenics and okay. um, horrible racism type things. Yeah, but give it time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it won't yeah. be when, long. When <laughs> white men are involved, it's just a matter of time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, 
we're not too far away from that. Uh, <laughs> he, he'd found loads of people who just didn't seem to fit along with, you know, all of the other idiots that he was finding. Okay. You know, they, they didn't fit the standard, you know, parameters. They didn't fit your standard idiot, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and while some of them seem to have, you know, issues with communication, mm. you know, a lot of them were incredibly intelligent mm. and provably so and incredibly skilled in these different ways. He, he wrote that it was difficult to say whether this person should be called an idiot. Right. It's interesting to hear you say that because I think even still autism is considered by many to be a learning disability or difficulty and that's not necessarily the point it, the your needs if you have them as a person with autism is more about the kind of communication and understanding social cues and things like that it's not necessarily a question of intellect in the same way that you might see with these other i suppose kinds of idiots that he's talking about yeah, exactly. It also comes into that whole kind of, you know, special interest mm. Uh, mm. thing that a lot of people have. There is this kind of assumption that, you know, if, if someone was a, a idiot in the way they were describing, um, they it was sort of, you know, synonymous with, you know, a low IQ. Yeah. Which obviously wasn't the case for these people. And that kind of started off this kind of um, boom of research into these people who, see, you know, it's kind of like, well, it's like they're deficient, but they're not, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, you know, you found yourself very confused, not wanting to, you know, call them idiots. I'm like, well, yeah, you shouldn't, but like, not for the reason you think. (laughs) (laughs) Could you just not? Yeah. He doesn't want to call them idiots because that's not the right term, offensive terminology to use. Let's think of something else horrible we can call them. (laughs) Basically, yeah. Yeah, but it's got, you know, a lot of these stories have been, you know, I guess what many people would describe as kind of, human oddities you know mm. these, these are the people who, who have stood out because you know their behavior is unusual enough to become noteworthy right yeah but obviously this this exists you know in all fields of life and in all subjects and you know so a scientist particular one you know there are a number of historical scientists who very much seem to have you know been neurodiverse mm. have you know autism just like Henry Cavendish is a scientist who's mm. now thought to have had um, Asperger's syndrome. Yeah. So he had a secret staircase at the back of his house to avoid having to speak to anyone. And again, I maintain that's just good sense. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's a autistic thing. I think it's just... <laughs> if, yeah, absolutely. If you don't like talking to people and you've got the cash, yeah, then do it. Build another front door. Yeah. Why wouldn't yeah. you? The the front door then becomes the fake front door. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so yeah, he was he was best known for discovering hydrogen. Okay, okay. He called it inflammable air, which I think is a much better name for yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's very dead cool. cool, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's so much better. <laughs> inflammable <But he's>, air. <laughs> yeah. He was always very, you know, like one of those people where you know the neighbours would say, "Well, oh, he keeps himself to himself." Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those. Mm. Most of his scientific advances weren't discovered until after he died. Mm. Because, you know, he kept himself to himself and wasn't going, look what I did. 
didn't speak to people to such an extent and you know was uncomfortable around other people from what we can tell what a way for your findings and work to be uncovered though to keep it quiet all of your life not because you want to but because you purely don't like communicating with other people and then for somebody to find all that work in notebooks when you've passed away is that's quite i suppose it's what's in what you're in it for though like if you're in it because you love science and you love research and you love discovering things and that's great if you're in it for the notoriety then it's not what you want at all no i mean it's a shame that he it means he wasn't sort of respected and recognized in his like lifetime and you know in an ideal world isn't he yeah posthumously he's he's recognized i think that's yeah That is quite amazing. And also, that's a little bit sad. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's quite touching, I think, to go all of your life and then not really have that you're discovering your work talked about. And then when you've passed away, what a legacy that is to leave behind Mm. for other people. Yeah, I mean, what you really need in, in an ideal world would have been the opportunity for him to do his research and all of that and there to be a space for him to be able to communicate his discoveries in a way that he felt safe doing so yeah and then a nice barrier between him and all everybody else who was going to consume that information almost like having a press conference and then like giving your findings and going i should be accepting no further questions thank you very much that kind of yeah yeah sort of a nice window just throw the science out of the window and then shut it again yeah Yeah. Yeah. you lot deal with this (laughs) yeah yeah. this is your problem now (laughs) i've done the legwork yeah yeah see this is where we start talking about the psychiatrists okay oh oh. this this should be fun (laughs) yeah so i mean psychiatrists have been describing the patients they had with what we call autistic tendencies for for like decades it'd been describing people who had you know a lack of attachment and a narrow range of deep interests and talking about themselves in the third person Mm -hmm. as well from like you know the start of the 1800s i mean these these assumptions that that this was sort of rooted in a person's emotional development Mm -hmm. was what originally led to the term autism so so it was a swiss psychiatrist lula i think it's i cannot confirm or deny whether how that whether that's how you pronounce it, Eugene Bluler, I think. I apologise to any Swiss listeners. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm butchering your beautiful language. Yeah. <laughs> he sort of made up the word to describe a symptom of schizophrenia. Okay. So using it to mean um, like withdrawing into themselves. Mm. Mm-hmm. Although the words that he used were a morbid self-admiration and withdrawal of the patient to his fantasies, which is like rude and also not very clear. But, you know, that's what happens when you try and talk to a doctor from like 1910. Like, yeah. I mean, it sounds a little bit like somebody who lies in bed and worries a little bit about how they might die and what could happen to them at any moment. And that has been the last 25 years of my life so (laughs) (laughs) yes i mean you know for ages and ages autism was considered a symptom or a subtype of Mm. schizophrenia it was only shockingly recent that it was actually changed in the you know the dsm which is like the american version of the big book of mental disorders and it was changed so they didn't say that So, so you see um old uh, scientific papers and things referring to autistic psychopathy. Okay, psychopathy was just sort of a thing. You know, it's a it was a 
description of a, a way someone felt about themselves rather than yeah. you know necessarily as we would understand you know, psychopathy yes yeah, so it's you know today we would understand you know sort of psychotic to be something kind of you know particularly yeah. bad uh, it haven't quite had time to pick up that stigma yet at this right. point okay, okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah it does sound um really brutal if you're sort of talking about autistic psychopathy but autistic psychopathy was attributed in a lot of cases to something they refer to as refrigerator mothers so so that would be like a cold unloving yeah. guardian yeah. with milk and eggs inside and some holiday <laughs> daisy this is why you are so much funnier than me and alice just that dead pattern delivery of it's going fine until milk and eggs. No, but it's true, though, isn't it? You have milk and you yeah. have eggs. Yes, as a woman. Yes. Yeah, so, in order for calling it a separate phenomenon, yeah, was quite a bit later. So that is when you're getting towards the 1930s, more kind of okay, the era that you two were thinking about. About mm. you know, starting to be less shit about autism in general. Oh no! I never said that it was it was less shit. I just said that that was when I imagined people started going, "Oh yeah, that's a thing." Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, didn't yeah, say yeah. it's good. <laughs> oh no, no, no! I, by no means am I implying that less shit means good. <laughs> so yeah, so if people have um, looked up the uh, history of autism before, we're now probably getting into the region that they they may have heard some things about. about yeah so this is essentially where if you are looking up at the history of autism from certain places this is essentially where it starts according to some of these places mm. will be essentially you know when the word was invented and people started separating it from schizophrenia mm -hmm. uh, so it's dr canner he made the first documented case for it being a separate phenomenon yeah although Although we think a, a neurologist from the Soviet Union probably did earlier, but um, you just can't really prove that because haven't seen the thing written down. Right. Okay. Okay. You know, it's one of these kind of like oh, oh lost forever kind of mm. things. But but we we think there was a possibly before, but sort of simultaneous mm -hmm. um, idea as well. He wrote a you know a big long boring paper about um you know childhood schizophrenia mm -hmm. um, which made references to you know these kinds of behaviors like in autism and the father of a child from you know somewhere in america sent him this big long letter back describing their eldest son and that son was called donald triplett and he has been deemed case number one for the new brackets not actually that new yeah um condition of autism mm. oh, that's so, interesting yeah so he, he is a, the, what the 30s 30s 40s this kind of era all of this is happening uh, um yeah so so he was alive until relatively recently um and by relatively recently i'm now realizing that it's 2020 <laughs> and so it's probably not actually recently <laughs> at all also not 2020 so 2020s 2020s yeah <laughs> so yeah I, I think i think he died in the 80s 
eighties or nineties. So pretty recent, to be fair. Yeah, it's nice, well, nice and recent for those of us who were born in the eighties. It's really yeah. only you know yeah. a few years ago. We're still young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're still children. <laughs> I don't think I want to go children, but you know, younger, young twenties ish. <laughs> If you become a child, you have to do the teenager all over again. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say anywhere between the age of like 24 and 31, I'll stick in, in that range. In that, in that just... bracket. Yeah. 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 Nothing else. Like, no. God, do I have to really embrace these last few years of being in that bracket then? <laughs> yes. It is only downhill from there. Oh, God. Quick, I don't have time to do this with you. I have to live my life. <laughs> <laughs> you just hear footsteps and then a car door slamming. <laughs> right, so, Robert, Donald Dr. Triplett. Yes, Donald, Donald Triplett and Dr. Canner. Okay. So it's around the same time as Dr. Canner that you had Dr. Asperger. Uh-huh. Now, you may remember that name from... It's somewhat a, familiar. Yeah, 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 from, you know, a lot of things that you hear about and have happened. So Dr. Asperger was studying a larger group than Dr. Kanner had. So Dr. Kanner had been, you know, sent letters about kind of individual people at a time because, you know, he was in the first stages of research. And so, you know, his first paper on autism was about, hey, look at this guy, Donald. Mm-hmm. You know, awesome case number one. Yeah. And so Dr. Asperger was, was uh, doing it a bit more broadly. So he a bit more variation in presentation. So people who were, you know, more communicative, but still, you know, had symptoms. So the implication is that Donald was relatively or periodically nonverbal. Okay. Dr. Asperger is become pretty well known, particularly more recently, for being a massive prick. Okay. Right. <laughs> I cannot overstate how much of a prick he is. Why? Why is he a prick, Daisy? He was a member of the Austrian Fascist and Nationalist Party. Okay. Which is called the Fatherland Front, and that he is, was a eugenicist. That is pretty. That's pretty decent prick points. Yeah, that, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I was going to say yeah, it's that's that's not you know. A, a little bit questionable some people disagree with what he was saying that's pretty strong evidence of yeah, yeah. oh it gets worse okay. oh good okay um, i think this i think this is our first nazi everybody how exciting <laughs> should we have some sort of alarm confetti cannon <laughs> i don't know about confetti cannon that sounds like we're celebrating i realized that as soon as i said it actually so yeah. <laughs> i think an alarm alarm would be good yeah <laughs> You know, being Austrian, he was a um, medical officer during the Second World War. Mm-hmm. Um, he still was carrying on with, um, you know, a lot of his regular research work as well as doing sort of, you know, wartime type things. And he was doing when a lot you, of them. When you say medical officer, are we talking he was on the front or are we talking he was doing nice things in those uh lovely holiday camps that they set up for Jewish and disabled and ethnic minority people. He was technically neither. Okay. Okay. So he had sort of set up a a sort of school, like almost like a boarding school 
mm-hmm. where um, a lot of children went when their parents couldn't look after them. Mm-hmm. And he would, you know, try and educate them, you know, give them room and board and do his research on them, which did result in, well, I said that resulted in, like, it happened accidentally. No, he he knowingly sent multiple disabled children to one of the clinics in Nazi Germany to be experimented on and um, most realistically and most likely killed in the Action T4 programme, which, as we all know, is was um, one of the earliest Nazi... Yeah, yeah, Nazi Nazi rounds to sort of uh, get rid of a lot of the disabled people before um, anybody else. Before we could, yeah, before anybody else, before we could get in the way too much. Yeah, because I think Hitler probably knew that we would kick up a fuss. (laughs) Realistically, we are quite stubborn. (laughs) Yeah, we we've touched on this before about uh, about us not being a quiet uh let's just sit there and let things happen kind of group fight the power energy i think we used yeah that's what yeah. it was yeah yeah i think um i i was going to describe us as revolting but not no. you know revolting <laughs> <laughs> viva la revolution <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. he, he was doing his work on asperger's syndrome kind of throughout the war um, but the office school where he was doing this stuff was bombed, and so you know a lot of that work um, was was lost in the bombings. Uh, and it's it's partly because of that and other factors, and that kind of the lack of that sort of research that shows it going back further and further. It's a reason why the idea that you know autism is a new label that's only just become fashionable and it's only sure. just been invented is is partially because of that. It's, it's difficult to elicit a particular amount of sympathy for this work being lost because it was done by such a prick. But like, it's kind of, you know, it's it's kind of trying to almost um, have the, the, it's the loss of the information rather than the loss of that anything like work connected to that person. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's, it's the thing you see time and time again in kind of science history is, yeah. you know, so many experiments were done on slaves and people of color and minorities and children and you know people with learning difficulties and uh, cognitive impairments because they were not the people that had you know strong legal representation they didn't have rights and a lot of the science that we have today we have to thank eugenicists and people who didn't care about minority groups and experimented horribly on people yeah it's this kind of that's the history of science i mean yeah 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 so it's um a another med- medical history podcast that i really like uh sawbones yes i yes. really like that and they, they often go um quite deep into that sort of you know how how much um kind of you know structural inequality uh mm-hmm. has sort of you know contributed to you know our medical and scientific knowledge yeah, so I mean, like that's kind of—I mean, obviously, you know, the uh, the syndrome was named after Absolutely, him. Yeah, but it's kind of—I mean, this is entirely, um, you know, anecdotal from online. I, I am seeing sort of uh, fewer and fewer people who are, you know, using Asperger's syndrome as a kind of, um, you know, as as a label for themselves mm-hmm. with with 
kind of uh, switch to new, like neurodiverse, neurodiverse rather than Asperger's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, something apart from anything else, just kind of, the idea of calling something a syndrome is uh, is kind of like a very sort yeah. of uh, like you're making a real decision. Do you think, Daisy, that part partly people are saying I'm neurodiverse rather than a syndrome is not just because people don't like the term syndrome much anymore, but because of who the syndrome is named after and the connotations of him being a Nazi, maybe. I mean that. There certainly is um, like much more awareness yeah. from you know the community and all sorts about what this was named after and and what he did. Mm. So I don't know. No, that's why people are switching because because there is also you know this kind of um, it's it's almost like following on from the social model yeah. of disability. That's kind of you know it's not like a you know disorder. It's not that there's something you know wrong with us. It's just no. that you know our brains work in a different way. So I think you know it stems from a bit of both i think mm. it is a personal decision i suppose i mean yeah. if you're happy to call it asperger syndrome you're happy to call it asperger syndrome but mm. at the same time there will be people out there that go well i don't want to be associated with a nazi i don't want yeah, that yeah, label but, hanging around my neck you know but then you know it's your <laughs> because you have the syndrome that is named after him that doesn't link you in any way to the atrocities that he I can absolutely understand both sides of the coin of going well I don't want people to look at me and go Asperger's that's the Nazi but also people shouldn't be looking at people and going Asperger's that's the Nazi because a person's neurodiversity has all to do with the doctor that named it I think think it would be sort of almost as much as it it reminds people themselves Mm. if I've been you know diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome and every time someone mentioned it you know i know that's that's what happened but yeah it's you know as we say different people are comfortable with different labels and topics and people have different reasons for Mm. you know referring to themselves as one way or the other Mm. i'm not judging no although i am judging dr asperger because he's a prick (laughs) but yeah i think that's allowed yeah 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 i mean if we've got to the point we're not allowed to judge a nazi well then (laughs) see all all of this work had been sort of done during the 20th century so 20th century being 1900s it still took the medical establishment a long time to catch up it was only it was 1980 was when they officially differentiated autism from schizophrenia wow wow really 1980 that is incredible so that was when that's when the the dsm which is uh the previously mentioned big book of yeah mental disorders yeah. what's it diagnostics it's something in latin i think is it okay i was gonna say i have heard it but i don't mm-hmm. remember what it is yeah yeah, I don't yeah. Think it's that important diagnostic something manual maybe yeah something like that yeah. I, I think it's one of these where um the answer when you look it up i think a lot of the time is in latin and i think they might have had the latin and then had the acronym and then gone no the words that the acronym stands for are stupid we're going to make up a new one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then come up with like diagnostic Whatever. salami manual <laughs> uh, lucy enjoyed that <laughs> she needs a minute <laughs> Daisy, I think I want to be your best friend. Oh my God. <laughs> oh. Don't say that, Luce. Tom's listening. Yeah, that's true. Sorry, Tom. The 1980s is kind of when everything started to catch up. And that's, you know, 
he get into the, you know, the things that have happened more recently, like kind of, you know, the gradual expanding of the diagnosis Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of these talks about how difficult it is for women comparatively to become diagnosed. And, And even so, the diagnostic criteria are really, they're so narrow. And that they're so narrow to the point where if you're visually impaired, it's almost impossible to get a diagnosis. Because so many of the criteria to be diagnosed with are things like eye eye contact contact and things that involve you needing to be able to see. Observe things. Yes, Yes, exactly. And it's really interesting. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, a lot of other, you know, disabilities as well tend to you know act in ways that do not match with what the book says you will do no mm. but you can't but the book says you're like this <laughs> yeah it's you know like this is this is what always gets me about diagnosing people with conditions and disabilities and things that if if for whatever reason you are slightly not as the the list gives it's like well it can't possibly be that and then mm. people go on for years struggling through a childhood difficult teenage years thinking what on earth is wrong with me and then they get to like 42 or in their 30s and it's like oh yeah no that is what it is sorry we got it wrong. Yeah. and you think just think outside of the box a little bit do you know what i mean it's well and we've it. talked earlier before i think about how helpful having those that diagnosis can be for getting support and I think that's what it kind of comes down to isn't it is that if your your diagnostic criteria is so strict that it means that there are people who are not getting the appropriate diagnosis and those people aren't getting access to the support they might need no yeah completely it's kind of you know how different um you know impairments intersect with each other yeah Mm. and it's kind of you know and it's it's the same with all all types of things you know, I mean, most people who have, you know, more than one impairment can probably, you know, relate to that idea that, you know, often one of them will make the other one act differently, mm. which makes it that much more difficult because there's, you know, so much confusion. It's like, oh, well, it must be the original thing that's just sort of being weird. It can't possibly be two things. So, yeah, so that kind of brings up the the history of, you know, how autism has gone up to sort of around the present day but it kind of has skirted around a bit they call savant mm-hmm. so this idea of being autistic savant well that's what um a lot of people have always kind of uh, associated with mm-hmm. autism before these kind of you know more recent push was you know sort of neurodiversity where obviously we can see the, the sort of whole broad range of uh different people and it how being they're... a spectrum yeah exactly yeah. so Autistic savant isn't really a term we use now, but there are so many accounts of, you know, savants throughout history. So there is still something called savant syndrome. So that is thought to be about 50% of people with savant syndrome are autistic. Okay. The other 50% have brain injury or a neurological illness or or something else Mm -hmm. that is causing this sort of sort of very singular or tiny area of extraordinary ability of mm-hmm. knowledge mm-hmm. in a certain subject and so savant syndrome now tends to sort of more specifically refer to someone who is you know quite 
severely impaired with their communication. So, you know, people who are nonverbal mm-hmm. primarily. So often those types of things were music. So like uh, blind Tom Wiggins. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And memory. So people who can remember full conversations yeah. and perfectly yeah. exactly mimic them. And also maths and art. So th- those tend to be where the savant type stuff comes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, to anybody who doesn't really understand the inner workings of autism properly, they would go, okay, so it's like the, the Rain Man type, yeah. Sheldon mm. from the Big Bang Theory type mm. person. And so you could describe it as your classic, classic signs of autism in inverted yeah. commas. But yeah. actually... You, that stat that you dropped you know that it's 50 it's actually only 50 percent of people who display display those kinds of behaviors have autism mm. i mean that's i think that's really interesting mm. that one of the things that most of the general public would go oh well that's a sign of autism is actually yeah. it's it's not just a small element of autism but actually within that kind of savant behavior it's only half of those people actually have an autism diagnosis yeah so so you you may have come across at some point uh, you know one of these stories in i don't know take a break magazine or or, you know the sun or the mail or something like that you just you know oh i was in a car crash and now i can play the piano beautifully Mm -hmm. and you know never taken a lesson and you know all of that stuff i can speak fluid french and i woke up you know, can speak. that I think is that that's foreign a, accent syndrome. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say that's a specific thing. Is where you literally wake up being able to speak another language that you, yeah. you don't know. That's yeah. something different, the, isn't it? Th- theoretically, you you could have a savant syndrome and be incredibly good at like like taking in new languages. Yeah, because that would come under the memory thing. You know, that sort of you know. That sort of oh, thing. you you read, so you know, you hear one person talking or something, and you just kind of learned it all yeah 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 but yeah so it's kind of you know that that sort of 50 percent stat is considered for for kind of uh, modern savant syndrome and it's hard it, it yeah and it's hard to tell going back whether you know whether the stat was the same obviously we don't know because we cannot retroactively go back and prod people and do tests um partly because uh it's impossible and they're dead and partly because we're a bit nicer Yes, about this sort of thing now. It's going to say ethically, perhaps not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could be doing. I wanted to ask Daisy if during your research about the history of autism, whether you'd come across that uh, excellent phase in human history where we started believing that uh, vaccinations were causing autism. Mm. Do you know anything about that? Uh, Yes, that's a very good point. That is a a bit that I didn't um, include. And I maybe should have maybe it's a bit we can like do a bit later and come back to um because I, th- I mean that's probably like a whole episode because that shit is just ridiculous yeah 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 it's you know it's a, it's a classic uh correlation versus causation mm. thing and probably if anything is one of the um earlier points of evidence that shows just how many people do actually have autism Mm. rather than you know anything to do with uh mmr or vaccinations or anything yeah. like that R- really what it was telling us was oh this is much more common than we ever thought it was yeah so so i think um so the 
prevalence of autism in the population in the United States, the, the last time it was updated, it was updated from previously thought to be one in every 130 people. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, now to one in every 45. Yeah, I can Whoa. believe it. No, and, I believe it. And, and to be fair, I think it's highly likely that it is actually higher than that. Yeah. And it's just and it's just that, you know, a, a lot of people um, have just kind of never considered things about the way they are to be, um, you know, autism or neurodiversity. Yeah. Or Yeah, I mean, we had it's... Louise on the show um, and in her episode, she's a, an identical twin. And she said that she always assumed that her communication issues and problems that she's had with, uh, you know, social interaction was because she was a twin. She didn't, it wasn't until she started learning about Asperger's that she went, that's, that's what it is. It's not because I'm a twin at all. Part, part of it comes from that sort of, you know, stigma of autism that still does exist mm. in that, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, people don't want to connect their behaviours with it anything, to a certain yeah. degree and, and hopefully as it becomes you know more accepted more people will realize it's quite a fascinating i mean this episode to me daisy has been absolutely fascinating i did not know much about the history of autism i certainly didn't know about dr asperger no um, that's really at all i never yeah. even realized that he was a, a nazi um so it's been really really interesting to to go through the history of it really and and i feel like i've gained such much more of an understanding so thank you mm. that's yeah, all right I'm, I'm sorry i have to bring more fascists to your, to your attention <laughs> it's okay <laughs> it's all right it's fine if if we can do anything to raise awareness of fascism then we can hopefully help prevent it uh in the future so yeah that's um i think i think that's that was good okay thank you daisy Yes, thank you very much, Daisy. And again, all our sources and stuff will be in the description. Uh, Follow us on the Twitters and all of the other social medias. And we'll see you throughout the rest of the week for more autism awareness raising. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Labelled Podcast. If you like the show please rate review and subscribe you can follow us on social media at labeled podcast uh thanks go to our editor adam hall our music composer Maisie crunden and our graphic designer sarah coley we'll, we'll see, see you next time, time.